Hello, everyone, and welcome to this IRF podcast with Ron William of RW Advisory. For those of you that don't know about IRF, it's a company that I set up almost five years ago now in order for institutional investors to have access to a very wide range of high quality and differentiated independent research and data providers. We've grown quickly now with a team of 15 as investors increasingly seek the views of independence. We're hosting a series of podcasts in order to promote our providers and in order for institutional investors to hear the views of some of our differentiated researchers. Very warm welcome to you, Ron. Hi there, happy new year. Ron set up RW Advisory very recently, but he's a seasoned market practitioner that spent over 20 years analyzing markets, most recently through his own independent research firm. He previously held senior positions at Bloomberg, Morgan Stanley, ECU Group, and other respectable institutions. He provides investors with market forecasts, timing, risk management, and training. I noticed, Ron, from your most recent presentation, it was titled The Minsky Moment. That's probably going to give some indication of what we're going to expect over the coming weeks, months. What are your projections for the year ahead? Well, it's a, a measured risk position uh, framed under the uh, economic understanding of Hyman Minsky, the American economist. And it's, it's all about a tipping point where stability leads to instability. And ultimately, it's this frothy speculation from late August, September, right? I actually went on the record with uh, some of the mainstream media platforms on the back of mostly the options over leveraging driven by FOMO, fear of missing out, and, and the whole Fed put situation. All of that, of course, supplied by easy credit, and, and potential deflationary pressures to come. But the long and short of it is that if you look at markets uh, like the S&P 500, uh, there, there's a technical framework that, that I think can, can be quite useful. One, according to the cycle work that I do at RW Advisory, originally developed by my mentor, Robin Griffiths, we're in a late stage cycle. And that implies that this so-called V-shaped recovery is, is likely to be false. Um, and uh, resolve into a rolling W retest of the crash lows ultimately. Uh, but on the S&P 500, just to give people a, a price and time level to look at, anything below 3,600 and the pandemic gap levels and then ultimately 3,000 uh, will be the downside price triggers. And then the time cycle-wise, we're looking for the next few months, February onwards, uh, to be more specific, uh, where there might be uh, vacuum levels on the downside. So even with the vaccines being, you know, rolled out over the coming months, you're still fairly bearish according to your market analysis. Yes. So it's, it's, it's part of a top down blended approach driven by cycles. But ultimately, it is behavioral technical analysis that driven by crowd psychology that, that is, is the pricing mechanism that we follow. And with that view, the charts have already maybe priced in a lot of that positive news. I mean, even the most recent turn of events in terms of the electoral correlation that, that just literally happened a day before this 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 interview, uh, which seems to be giving a little bit of a short-term respite to the market. Uh, all of this is, is good news, but I think that the bottom line is most of it is priced in, and perhaps there are some complexities that have yet to come ahead. So we're looking for bearish risk scenarios uh, to, to mitigate, and we're, we're focusing on scenario planning. So not just having one particular forecast, but just looking at both sides of the trade just to make sure that we've, we're in check. So is there anything, Ron, that you're bullish at the moment? Yes. So many things to keep in mind. I mean, first things first, many people would be aware of the January seasonality pattern, a 
the so-called barometer for the new year. So, I mean, how we end this month is likely how we're going to uh, continue to perform for the rest of the year. So that will be key uh, just across the board in terms of risk on the scar. Looking at our global cross-asset model, uh, we currently got a top-ranking uh, risk-on business cycle-sensitive market like oil and copper, although there's been a little bit of a loss of momentum on copper. Followed by um, our big medium to long-term play for Asia equity markets uh, led by India and Japan. Uh, remember, Asia has had the first in and first out advantage in terms of pandemic risk mitigation. And also, that you know that's also riding the demographic and kind of long-term growth uh, story. Western markets, which is kind of more to why we're a little bit skewed on in terms of bearish risk, has been strong in absolute terms, but relatively weak compared to the world. And gold on our model is at the bottom, but that's after the uh, correction from overbought levels at 2000. It's looking like we have a good buy on the dip situation from the multi-year trend. Um, so that's the global multi-asset focus. The only other thing I would say is uh, Bitcoin is definitely on our radar in terms of alternative, more aggressive vehicles. And certainly Bitcoin's now targeting 40,000. We already hit our targets before that. And Ethereum's looking quite interesting with a potential retest of the all-term highs at 1600. So I think I read that Ethereum was up 100% year to date. Is that right? It's it's a crazy situation, which which hasn't been too much of a surprise in terms of crypto doing well during its halving cycle. Um, and usually there's a lag effect before that actually takes place. But it's it's a strange hybrid trade where it, it seems to be an aggressive kind of growth play or risk on trade. But at the same time, some people are, are maybe viewing it uh, as a as a safe haven or let's say a hedge or crisis hedge, so uh, that seems to be the sentiment play. And there's even you know some talk of of a potential repositioning or substitute effect from gold. Uh, we're still traditional with with gold uh, play and seeing further upside potentially into two thousand four hundred and maybe a spike risk to three thousand. And we prefer to own gold as a de risk safe haven play over Bitcoin. But if you're looking for a little bit of an aggressive upside or just buy and hold uh, long-term views uh, for Bitcoin and, and crypto, um, then yeah, they're both uh, worth owning. Just one word of caution would be the volatility signature, 20% average uh, vol with a peak to trough drawdown historically of anything up from 85%, I believe is the average, and then anything as big as 90, 90 or so percent. So so long as you're willing to to live through those, those, those big shakeup moves, um, it, it's worth holding on to for the long term. So we're not too late to join the Bitcoin rally or the Bitcoin momentum? Not, not in our view, technically. And, and I mean, if we think about it, it's taken two years or so to actually break above the, the previous highs of 2017. So it, it's just in time to pick up where we left off uh, back then, uh, I would say, and perhaps less frothy now than it was before. So had you spoken to me back then when I actually fortunately called the top and lost many friends um, in doing so, um, it part of the reason why why it, it was more of a contrarian play then is because it was still early stage in the long term cycle, lots of bad actors, and more of a kind of a frothy speculative play. Whereas now you're getting a lot more institutional uh, backing of of crypto. It's a more respected asset class, and ultimately for those people that really understand the story behind um, this this market, it's it's here to stay. Not least because of the te technology that backs it. Great. Well, maybe we should be looking to do that. <laughs> well, I was worried that I was too late to jump on the bandwagon, but as I speak to some of our researchers and, and, and you confirmed, you know, I feel like that this seems like that this uh, this bull market set to continue. 
Yes, well, it's a bifurcated market, and, and I think that's what's made it difficult. So last year was a game of winners and losers. And so that's why a lot of people have been talking about a K-shaped recovery, never mind a, a V or a W, as, as, uh, as I'm calling it now. So there, there is space to make money, and clearly many investors and traders did make money in the second half of last year. Uh, just be cautious into the start this year, because January is historically a barometer month for the rest of the year. And because we, we're just extending what already was a frothy situation, going back to August, September, that, that could create a tipping point situation. And remember, from a technical point of view, one of the big advantages of the charts is you do get price and time risk uh, levels. And right now, we're, at the, we're in a potential eye of the storm pressure point if we look at the U.S. markets as a case in point. One point I, I, I do want to make, you know, shifting from west to east, the pendulum did shift, you know, very recently from late last year in terms of this kind of uh, big long-term story for Asia as part of a crisis opportunity going into uh, 2021. Remember, in terms of the model, it shows that leading markets in Asia like India and Japan are doing well. But if we look at the economics of it, we had a great crossover signal where Asian economies basically registered larger growth uh, than the rest of the world in GDP terms as priced in uh, purchasing power. First time we've seen this in a very long time. And if you follow the money, it shows a biggest influx of foreign money since uh, seven years. Just to give you some of the numbers here, Japan, 27.4 billion. India uh, in second place, 9.2 billion. And then South Korea in third place was 6.4 billion. Look at those markets. India's at 20 or 20 year record highs, likely overbought, but still you can, you can potentially buy it uh, on the dip. In Japan, everyone's talking about Dow 30,000. Japan is about to retest two thirds of what it lost since the 1989 crash. Just amazing. After 30 years of deflationary pressures, that Japan is really becoming the rising star of Asia. And clearly, if you follow the money flow, um, there's a lot of foreign investment going from west to east as part of that crisis opportunity. Interesting. When you say January kind of predicates what's going to happen for the market to the markets for the year ahead, and you can predict a lot through analysing the uh, January markets. I mean, surely that's more difficult when you have something like COVID arriving. Yes, absolutely. Well, well, there's there's a, a whole mosaic of interesting tail risk, and you, you can you can spin it both ways. That, that there's there are positive risks and there are negative risks. But I, I think given we've had so much upside already, and, and maybe we can have further upside, of course, with with an extension of the FOMO rally and, and more central bank support, particularly if, for example, we get Biden elect becoming president and and, and a Senate control. Um, then that, as the market's already pricing in, that would suggest more relief, um, support, and uh, an investment in terms of infrastructure and whatnot. But if we, I think if I bring it back to the tail risk on an analog that we're looking at, uh, there's an interesting historical analog between right here and now and two other points in history. The second point, is, the first point is uh, early last year when everything was looking great. We were in this last hooray situation, and then we have the pandemic crashed uh, 40% down in just a few weeks. So big question mark, or at least, you know, a scenario a situation to, to at least mitigate and, and just be aware of. Second thing um, is the US elections go back to Y2K, uh, when we had a contested election between Bush Gore. That's the event risk uh, analog. But look what happened on the chart. That was a late cycle, top pattern formation. And according to our chart work, if the market S&P 500 breaks below 3,600 and the pandemic gap, um, that will suggest a precarious historical analog. And remember, it's not so much who wins, Trump or Biden. 
It's, it's the uncertainty and certainly the social tensions, which we've already seen in Capitol Hill, and the volatility risk that will likely build up. That's just based on uh, the politics of the situation. But if you add on COVID, the lockdowns, UK is in lockdown until April, as we just found out. So it, we're not out the woods yet. Uh, and any good news has been mostly priced in. So there's a lot of wait and see information that the, the market still needs to trade on. Surely there's no comeback for Trump from here. Do you believe that there could be? Very little probability, and time will only tell. Jan 20 is the big and, and uh, officially final day. Uh, but at this, at this stage, when we had so many different strange things happening, um, who knows? I think the mainstream is, is basically not pricing it in. And so it would be low probability and certainly a big risk uh, reaction if, if that were to happen. But either way, whoever gets voted in, and let's say um, it's, it's President-elect Biden, it's the aftermath which is the issue. I mean, and, and we saw um, just now in Capitol Hill is, is, is just a, perhaps a warning shot of, of things to come. And, and keep in mind that half, the, half the, uh, uh, the, the U.S. seems to be split in terms of its, um, its uh, voting trends. So if, if it's a smooth transition, then, then that'll be good for markets. If it isn't, um, then that'll be more volatility to price in. Interesting. So do you think like as more and more people enter the markets with the sort of working from home and people have more money, saving more money and therefore investing more money in the stock markets, do you, th- do you, th- do you find that technical analysis becomes more and more important as, as more people are involved? I would imagine that it is. Yes, absolutely. So th- there's been a, a real uh, boom in interest for technical analysis. And I can say that wearing two hats. One, um, as in a uh, part of the advisory work that we do here, uh, but also as part of industry work I do for the International Federation of Technical Analysis, where, where their mandate is on the education side, and they have an exam diploma um, for for that uh, development. I've I've experienced a massive amount of interest on both sides, and it's it's mostly it, uh, people wanting to add an, a market timing overlay, behavioral finance kind of safety check. And then, like you say, many many people you know have cash to, to invest, and so they want to get more return on their money. That's largely a good thing. The only caution I would I would warrant is is for the new uh, traders in the market, the so-called Robin Hood. It's their first experience of a of a market cycle is up up and then up again. Uh, so I I think you know more due diligence um, and and just better training I think would be good, particularly if they're over leveraged. And how does your uh, how does your technical analysis and chartist expertise differentiate from your peers? It's the combination of behavioral technical analysis, as developed by my uh, early mentor uh, David Fuller, combined with cycles. I think it's 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 what everyone knows about the trend being your friend. That's that's at the heart of technical analysis. But what what makes the work um, and the model that I follow unique is the timing driven by cycles. And I think during precarious times like this, where it looks like a one-way trade, if you want to look at both sides of the trade and, and just have a safety check and, and at least have a, a, a kind of due diligent approach, it, it is a unique and a necessary overlay to have in, in, in our opinion. And it very much can be used in combination with existing uh, work. So macro, fundamental, top-down approach, it, it would be perfect uh, market time and complement. And how important do you think it is to outsource technical analysis for a fund to a service like yours, RW Advisory, rather than fund managers doing it in-house, which a lot of them would say that they do themselves? 
versatility um, and and uh, kind of that having that second overlay uh, to to cross check the view and avoid confirmation bias. Even as a chartist, uh, we, we can run into risk. And I think also there's a lot to be said for different strategies and and, and educational framework that can be learned from. So. I've always uh, approached it from a market and mind perspective. So you know, there's plenty of different strategies that uh, we've tested and and, and field uh, tracked uh, as part of the methodology. But I think it's also combining it with the existing framework and and, and looking for some of those uh, important synergies that can can exist and can provide more of a unique angle. And what is what is your coverage, Ron? Do you cover single stocks as well as uh, you know obviously the broad macro asset classes, or is it is it really focused on the macro? So primarily macro, but um, I mean, previously there, there has been a lot of active work on the sector and stock level. Uh, we certainly have the capacity for, to doing that. It's, it's more on a client by client uh, bespoke basis. So, we, so it, is, it is part of the service that we offer, uh, but our main strength is in global multi-asset. Great stuff. And one final question from me, Ron, is um, who would you say your biggest mentors have been in the industry that have taught you the skills of your trade and allowed you to do what you do so successfully today? Yes, well, definitely standing on the shoulders of giants. Uh, two people that I, I would give um, much credit to um, have been uh, Mr. David Fuller on the behavioral uh, finance or technical analysis side and Mr. Robin Griffiths, who I still actively uh, work with on the uh, his uh, roadmap cycle work, which I've built out um, in recent years. So, so certainly uh, those two individuals are, are key giants in, in, in the industry that I've managed to work with. Great stuff. Well, I'm sure people will be quoting your name in a few years' time when I ask uh, younger technical analysts who they uh, aspire to be. So it's been a real pleasure to interview you today. Thank you so much. For um, further information on IRF and or RW Advisory, please don't hesitate to get in touch with us. Thanks very much for your time, Ron. Thank you. Thank you very much. Ron has produced a chart pack which contains some of the recommendations he discussed today, as well as a whole host of others. Do let us know if you'd like a copy.